Welcome to another episode of Take the Hill, a leadership podcast dedicated to connecting you with individuals who are demonstrating exceptional leadership within their respective fields. Now, I am one of your hosts, Patrick Mulvihill, an assistant professor within the Roland School of Business at Point Park University. And I'm here with my co-host, Dennis Verkadich, assistant professor within the Employment and Labor Relations Program at Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Good afternoon, Dennis. Good afternoon, Patrick. All right. Good to be here. So today we have an exciting show for you. We are going to be having here, or we have here in studio now, uh, Megan Livingston. So Megan is the manager of talent development at Highmark Health. Uh, she has spent the last 18 years in the field of instructional design, learning, and development. Uh, and she has led many enterprise initiatives around employee engagement and leadership development within all levels of leadership across Highmark Health, including the executive leadership team. Outside of work, Megan could be found doing a lot of volunteer work within the communities, as that's one of her true passions. Oftentimes, Megan's weeks are spent mentoring the youth and college students as a youth group leader, counselor, and mentor for various organizations throughout the region. Also, she is a diehard Pittsburgh Pirates fan, as are we. And especially when we'll talk about it a little bit later on uh, during the show is her work around the Johnstown Cinderella Project. Uh, it's something that she founded, which is really cool. Uh, over the last 13 years, I think it's over 1,400 girls across five counties have received formal gowns and shoes and accessories all free of charge. Uh, and that's certainly a, uh, a credible endeavor. So Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Absolutely. And we're excited to have you this morning. So if you'd like to reflect a little bit on your quote uh, that we pulled out that said, even the smallest acts of kindness can make a difference. Why does it, what is, why is that so important to you? Yeah, it's pretty much something that um, has shaped me and who I am and, and how I work, the work that I do, how I lead. Uh, it came about kind of naturally. I've always been somebody who was involved in volunteer work growing up through college and whatnot. Um, but I've seen that 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 kindness doesn't have to be just through doing volunteer activity in the community. It translates into the work that I do and in the workplace and in all things because it's really about connections and connections with people. So everything that I do from a talent development, talent management standpoint and working in the space that I do is about people. Um, so understanding that how you talk to them, asking somebody about their day and how they are, um, how you relate to them really goes a long way. Too much from a leadership perspective, um, too much is what people think you have to always do the, the big grand things. It has to be something big, huge and accomplished that you mm -hmm. do. So whether that's in the workplace or whether that's in the community space, um, I go from the perspective of, and I'm going to throw another quote at you here. One of my <laughs> favorite quotes is a Mother Teresa attributed quote that says, I alone cannot change the world, but I can cast a stone across the water to create many ripples. It's about those ripples. It's about those little tiny things that make a difference with somebody. So whether it's telling them they did a good job on a project, whether it's writing a thank you note. I'm a huge proponent of the handwritten thank you notes and how much value that is into those types of things. Um, or just recognizing that somebody's going through something and, and helping them navigate that along the way, listening, you know, that mm -hmm. spending time with somebody and just listening. So it's those small things that can make such a huge difference to somebody and impact 
impact on somebody. And whether that's on the people that you're managing and working with on a daily basis or just the people you encounter out around you as you're walking down the street, you never know how you're going to be able to have a positive impact on somebody during a day. Yeah, and what's interesting, at least for me, the takeaway, I mean, it always comes down to presence, mm-hmm, right? And, absolutely. and paying attention to the smaller details. I mean, again, the grandiose stuff is great, yeah. right? But I think people react more genuinely and appreciate much more the fact that you're paying attention to those small little things, That's whether that. it's a handwritten note, whether it's a kind word, and those small gestures are really what keeps people connected, I think. Most definitely. Beings, yeah, so. I agree 100%. So. Awesome. That's great. Well, I think we'll start with some of the questions. Um, the first question we have for you, Megan, is uh, describe for us an experience that significantly, significantly, wow. See, I told you, I always mess up. Significantly <laughs> challenge you to grow as a leader. Yeah, you know, thinking on this, there are there are many. It's kind of been a lot of things along the way that have shaped me. It is the things that, that challenge you the most um, that I think help you grow. Um, for me, you know, if it's from a, a work perspective, there it's been the projects and the programs that where something has gone sideways. Um, the things where if, as a project leader or a team leader that I've had to step up and step in and kind of lead through adversity. Um, I had a, a program and I, prior to my time at Highmark Health, I worked for a government contractor. So I'll be a little bit vague and what I worked on based off of you know, how some of that work is. But, you know, I was leading a team and working on a project and, you know, things were not going to meet the dates and deliverables that we needed. But if we if we didn't readjust, if we didn't readjust scope, if we didn't step back, we weren't going to deliver a quality product. And I'm a firm believer in making sure that we're delivering and what we are delivering is quality. Um, and we had some things go sideways for different reasons. However, I was the leader of that team and it was on me to be accountable for that. I never believe in throwing you know anybody under the bus. So you know, stepping up and saying you know, the, we had some challenges along the way and here's how we're going to be able to overcome them. So it was for me that aspect of having to put myself out there um, for one of the first times as a leader where something had gone a bit wrong. Take accountability for that. Um, be upfront, transparent, and honest with our client at that time. Um, and then give that solution as to how we're moving forward and how we were going to actually deliver a quality product for them. You learned a lot of things along that way about leading people, about project management, and just about the aspect of being transparent and honest with the people that you're working with, because those clients in turn very much so valued um, that transparency along the way. Now, from a community perspective, one of the biggest things that I encountered in building me as a leader and a challenge was when we started the Young Professionals of the Alleghenies in the Johnstown region, um, there was no Young Professionals organization going on there. Johnstown is a community where, you know, just like Pittsburgh, Steeltown and whatnot, and they've seen kind of a a brain drain, the best talent in the area leaving because there weren't a lot of job opportunities that were there. Um, But we had this pocket of people that we knew of that were talented, you know, young professionals there that wanted to connect and wanted to get involved to make the community a better place. However, we faced a lot of adversity in standing up that organization because you're kind of, we were kind of challenging the social norm of the region. And we got a lot of pushback from leaders in the community at that time saying, this is never going to work. This isn't going to happen. People have tried, people have failed. And mind you, it was four young women who were trying to start this organization as well, um, going up against some you know, pretty staunch leaders who had been entrenched in the community for a long time. So we got a lot of pushback in the beginning along the way. And I was like, 
early 20s at that point in time. Um, so for me, that was a bit of a new space and kind of having to assert myself, stand up for something that I knew was right and kind of keep pushing through and, and push through some of the barriers where I knew it was really worth taking risks and challenge to get to, um, to the point that the organization is what it is today, growing, uh, going strong and really giving back and helping to be a catalyst for change in that community. So it was a matter of you know challenging authority in a way that was right and was good. I was, I'm a, a daughter of two teachers and challenging authority for me is not something that I was brought up to do. It's not like something I'm good at. Um, so for me, it was being comfortable and knowing that this was the right thing to do, that actually we should kind of push on these barriers that were in our way to get something done that we knew had benefits in the long run. So that's what's really interesting. We've had this come up on the podcast before, you know, especially as leaders. And you gave the example of both a personal and also a community example there. How did you react to failure? Because <laughs> that's one of those things that we talk about is yeah. having people, especially stepping into a leadership position the first time and getting comfortable with, you know, there's a good chance I'm going to fail. Absolutely. Right? But how am I going to respond? But most importantly, what about my team? Yeah. Like, how do you get them comfortable with that environment? I've gotten better with failure as uh, as the years have gone by and as I've had more experience with <laughs> yeah. it. Again, being the daughter of two teachers, I was always yeah. the one who you know was well behaved and did right and got good grades and things like that. So to fail for me in any way, shape, or form was devastating along the way, especially as I was growing up. So coming to terms with sometimes along the way you are going to fail, um, and and that's kind of looking at it. You have to step out of that. How I achieve uh, grades. In an academic setting is totally different than things yeah. in a workplace. You're going to fail a lot in a workplace. Yeah. Um, so how do you learn to deal with that? How do you overcome that? I put a lot of pressure personally on myself. I'm a bit of a perfectionist in many ways. So understanding that you can learn from those failures that are that happen along the way. Um, trying to take a look back and find what I my approach now is okay. This has gone astray. There was failure in this, but what can I learn from it? And with my teams, what's the teach back in all of this? What did we get from this and where can we correct and get better on it? We had an example recently on the team that I'm managing now. We do a lot of uh, instructor-led type of training. And with instructor-led trainings and things like that, something's always going in different directions, right? Um, so with that, you know, we had some logistics things that were going on, and it was a matter of, okay, we still have to deliver this training for these 50 people today and make it the best experience so they know nothing else has gone on behind the scenes. But what is it that we can take a look at and get better at and correct on? So it's that I take a look at where are the coaching moments for my team in the instant that it's happening, so being able to teach teach in that moment and show them, okay, these things have gone wrong. Let's think about where we can correct on them. And then coming always looping back around, sitting down and kind of doing those after action types of reviews to talk through what we learn on this. Where do we improve? Where do we get better? And me as a leader being willing to take accountability for that too and stand up and say, this is where I messed up as well on this. It's not all on you. These are the things I messed up on. But that's taken for me a lot of time and a lot of stumbling along the way to get good at it. And I can't say I'm great at it still. Like, I still do put a ton of pressure on myself. I go home, I beat myself up over it, you know, mentally, all that type of thing. So uh, growing gracefully in that, I guess. <laughs> I like that, growing gracefully. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually a unique way to look at it. Cause it. And at the end of the day, that's what it is. Because you can only teach so much in a book or classroom or even just kind of a guiding mentoring process until you go through an experience, you know, that role or that opportunity. It's... 
and baseball, right? you yeah. all with you know, teaching students now too. I'm sure that's something that you have you're trying to impress upon them. But until they actually get out into the workforce and experience mm-hmm. it, it, it's something hard for them to probably even grasp until mm-hmm. they get into that. We see that with our interns. We see that with you know new hires right out of college. Is that those first few failures are a little bit tough for people to kind of grasp or overcome or feel like that they can manage. And I think as leaders, that's where we have the opportunity of recognizing, especially someone new to the workforce, that those are coaching moments mm-hmm. and opportunities to mentor and coach people through that they can learn and grow from. Yeah, Through your experiences, um, I, I know as students, I ask students that same question, and I, I get some very various answers, but how does your team react to the fact that you're willing to accept the fact that they're are allowed to fail. That is a, a welcome thing is what I've found. My my team that I work with now, the teams that I've worked with in the past, when you can be open to the fact that you're going to fail and I'm okay with that as long as we don't continue to repeat mistakes and we mm-hmm. learn from them. Yeah. Um, people are, it, it opens up trust, number one, um, lines of communication, and innovation as well. Because to be able to have new ideas and creative ideas and try new things, you really have to fail sometimes and fail in in those types of situations. So um, people want the opportunity to be able to take chances and take risks without that fear of failure. So when you create that environment, I've found, at least in the teams that I've worked with, it's something that's um, very welcome. In some cases, if it's new teams and new people have never worked with you and haven't had that before, it's it's a it's a bit of surprise for them, and they're not used to it, and they're not sure how to tread in that waters. Like you said, it's okay if we fail. Do you really mean it? Like I've had leaders that have said before, I can fail, but then it never ends up being that way. Sure. So that's the one thing. If you're going to say it's okay to your team to to fail in any way, shape, or form, and that you'll be okay with that, you need to kind of stick to that and not come back and have you know major repercussions unless something went terribly wrong but that's on you as a leader to stay close to that work that's going on as well thank you so you said a, a keyword in your last answer uh perfection <laughs> so no, Dennis and I, mean, I think a lot of us are perfectionists right mm-hmm. so one of the challenges that i see with younger leaders or anybody new to the workforce is this ability to navigate the detail-oriented environment yeah as well as still staying connected to that larger perspective of where the mission of that organization is going. How do you personally, or how do you teach your team to learn to navigate those two markedly different lenses? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. (laughs) And one that I think I could challenge people on my team a bit more to even think about and have some open discussion around. But as I was thinking through this, Um, Really, for me, it's about understanding what your goals and your outcomes are supposed to be, making sure you're setting those clear goals and outcomes and expectations at the beginning of anything that you're taking on, Um, especially whether that's personal or whether that's in a team, but especially as a team. The more people you have involved, the more clear those expectations need to be and the roles need to be of that. And I always ask the question at the beginning of a project as we're starting to frame things out, what does success look like? And let's use that what does success look like as we shape that out, you know, to build what those actual outcomes are going to be at the end of this project. For us, it's a lot of, you know, building learning, training, and development types of programs for our leaders in the organization or working with a leader and their team and trying to help drive engagement and improve results within that organization. Um, So what does that success look like? And 
And then there's detailed portion of it, but there's also, like you said, that mission and the high level aspect of it. But using that as your driving thread going through, because sometimes you'll get too far down in the weeds into the details and you'll lose that view of what is the mission of this. Um, To pull yourself back up, you always need to level set along the way. You know, it's never with a project cycle. um, It's never a beginning and an end. That's always that iterative kind of going back through and back around. So where are we at on this? Do we get too far down the weeds? Are we too far up here? You know, pie in the sky, how do we maintain that middle ground? Communication is an essential part of all of that too, is what I've learned. Um, Really making sure that with setting those clear expectations, you maintain that communication with people throughout, be it the people on your team, be it your stakeholders that you're working with, Um, your project sponsors or the people that are involved in it. Those are really the main things from a leadership perspective and managing all that at a leadership level, keeping that team to understand we set these goals and this is what we're driving towards. Um, Let's kind of refocus back around on that and continue to ask that question. What does success look like? Is Is that where we're at right now? Or we've spun off somewhere else in another direction. Do we need to kind of shift things back? And what's particularly interesting about that exact response and the way that you have developed that environment is, you know, Dennis and I were just at Disney. And regardless of the size of the organization, whether it's someplace like Disney at 70,000 plus cast members a day or a smaller team of just 20 or 30, that very idea can drive an organization to success. You know, and if if you can stick to that and Mm -hmm. kind of keep that vision and that idea and implement that concept, I mean, it, it works beautifully. Absolutely. So, yes. Interesting. When challenges arise, many inherently look elsewhere to assign blame, which I think you've already touched a bit on. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, how can we become better equipped to be the one who stands up and begins moving towards our expected vision or outcome? Yeah, for me, it's blame. I really take the stance of blame is really going to get you nowhere. It's an exercise in futility for me. So when something is going on, just like that instance I mentioned where he had this training for 50 people, um, we're dealing with logistics of we thought we were in an auditorium to train them. We show up there and that auditorium is like booked through the day with other things that are going on. Where are we supposed to be training at? We got this training room. Who's that? You're dealing with logistics. You end up in a training room that's like half the size of what you need it to be. (laughs) Uh, All these other things that are coming into play. Oh, by the way, they ordered lunch and they're going to have lunch come halfway through and you're trying to think about your content and how you cut your day and it's supposed to be four hours training and you're trying to condense it into two and a half all on the fly and you have a team of people that are working on this and some people are going to spin up in different directions and um, some people are going to point fingers as to well this person was supposed to do that and they were supposed to book the room and they did this wrong Um, and at that point in time when you have for us in that instance all this was getting uncovered at 7 a.m. Um, the training was to start at 8 30 a.m. and we needed setup time involved in all of that it was like wit Blame doesn't matter to me at all right now. That's getting us nowhere. What are the things that we can look at in this situation and what can we control? What can we focus on that we can control and do something about? And then back to the question you guys just asked me as well, you know, what are we trying to do? What are the outcomes of this training? Well, it's to deliver. It was a team-based training to really help a team with engagement. And so we need to go in there as facilitators and we need to make sure we're together as a team showing a unified unified, um, front on all of this and be able to facilitate this and facilitate it well because we don't want that. It's just like a stage production. You don't want anything, anybody to know what's going on behind the scenes and things are going wrong. So go in there and deliver the best training experience you can, and we'll roll with everything else. We'll figure out the other pieces. Yes, the room's too small. Okay, how can we make it work? 
we modify on some activities. They don't get up and move around quite as much. Yes, we have to do the content in half the time. Let's take a look at it. Where can we cut? What can we do? Where are the nice-to-haves versus the need-to-haves? And just trying to manage and look in those things in that situation. So for me, it's really you know taking a look at it's not about the blame. It's not about who did it wrong. We will come back and revisit all of this when the day is done and we've executed on the training. But what can we fix now and, and what can we what's in our control and what isn't? And let's not worry about the other stuff. Let's just do and reach the outcome that we needed to at the end of the day, which was a great training. And um, we have some you have some people that you kind of get really emotionally tied to just really wanting to say, well, this person was wrong or I know I did everything right and have that validation on it. But you just don't have time to kind of be invested in those types of things and in that moment, especially when there's something you're supposed to deliver upon. Um, And you can rehash all that at a later date. So for me, blame, no. Um, Stepping up and taking accountability for it, sure, absolutely. As the leader, you know, I'm responsible. And my responsibility was to kind of rally the troops of my team and let's just do this and let's do it right and do it well to the best of our ability and get it done. So as you, it just popped in my mind, maybe redundant, but but I... I myself see blame creating the spiral, mm-hmm. making the situation even worse. Yeah. Um, but how do you prepare as a leader your people for, I mean, you're walking into this. You're not sure what you're going to face every time you walk into something. How do you prepare or train your team to be prepared for incidents that may we have resilience training. <laughs> and one of the facilitators on my team trains on resilience. So I just give them the Jeff and I'm like, here you go. Um, no, it's really a matter of, you know, some of that comes uh, with experience along the way and, and being in those situations, learning how to navigate to. It's making sure that uh, I am in those instances, if it's me with them, I'm kind of coaching them through in the moment and, and talking them through as to, okay, we are starting to spiral and uh, stop and let's refocus see what we need to do. If it's, I know um, we've tried to do a good job of pairing people on our team with people who might have a little bit more experience in spaces than others. So when there are those things that go sideways, there's somebody there to kind of help mentor and manage and, and coach them through. Um, but it's always about, you know, talking about the being open and transparent and talking about the things that have gone wrong, being willing to admit and talk about them. When we have team meetings, it's that giving transparent feedback, being willing to share with each other the good things you've done along with the constructive things that that we can continue to work upon. Um, I can't say that we're still working through and getting better at that. Uh, There's a long ways to go from my team personally and from the other teams that we work closely with that make up kind of our, our whole area. Um, but we're trying, and we recognize it's an area of opportunity, an area to continue to build upon. The more we communicate with each other, uh, the better off that we'll be. But I really believe that there's a lot of power in kind of those one-on-one type of coaching moments to help people through those types of things and prepare them. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what it comes back to at the end of the day. You know, we were, have talked earlier on this podcast that, I mean, it's you have all these leadership models and strategies and communication styles, but at the end of the day, it's still a human being. Yes. You know, and, and the training a lot of the times is best done at that level. Yeah. All right. Cause again, it's, it's more applicable to them and you know, they're more willing to receive the feedback, I think even Absolutely. at some points. Um, and it's interesting too, cause you talk about resiliency, which is huge within organizations, teams, and even as individuals, um, especially when you're talking about failure or changing environments, especially being not what you expect. <laughs> and we've all been in those situations, but it's a, it's almost to me in a way, a lack of ability to prioritize and execute. 
because again, everybody goes to that situation of, well, whose responsibility is it and why didn't they have their job done and and they're looking to assign blame almost you know that that responsibility virus yes. sort of right <laughs> so and and it's the idea that if you think about it okay the variable that really becomes the matter is time right you mm-hmm. don't have control over or being able to go back and fix all those whatever the errors are yep. all right now you need to prioritize and execute right now where you're at based upon the variables in the environment that you're in. And to, like you said, whether it's resiliency training or it's whatever other training that we can help support our team, you know, to start to realize you're now in that moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. You need to figure out how to act because if you're not, you're giving up the time that you do have. The client is seeing a little bit of a disruption or the project might continue to go sideways. Yeah. All right. So again, hundred percent in terms of seeing people kind of in that same scenario now, and that's one of the things that we focus on with our students that, again, stop assigning blame, step up. I understand even if it's not your responsibility, take ownership because yeah. right? you could figure it out later. Another key factor, and we've talked about in our past broadcast, you were talking about, we keep mentioning team. Yeah. And I think that's so important. But one of the questions we had from one of our um, listeners uh, in the past was, how do you, how do you choose your team? Because that's key, I guess, in uh, making sure you can execute all these. You have to have the right team members. That's true. So how do you choose your team? Sometimes I don't get to choose my team. (laughs) (laughs) And that in itself is kind of a a lesson in in leadership and resiliency as well. Like when uh, when you're kind of assembled this group of people because others have assigned them in that or that's who has the capacity at that time from a workforce planning standpoint to be a part of this work. But um, when you're trying, when you have the opportunity to choose a team and assemble a team, it's really, for me, taking a look at uh, what what is this work and what needs to get done? What, in my head, what am I thinking success looks like? Understanding that, that client and, and who we're going to be working with is a lot of that as well. I'm big on the fact of uh, relationship and relationship building and having good, strong relationship and networks um, goes a long way. So knowing if I know that client and understand that client and how they operate, well, who are the people, we talked about personalities and how people work, who are the best working styles and personalities that are going to work well for who I know they're going to have to be interacting with? Same thing is uh, pace. Um, is this something that the timeline on this is fast and it's furious and we've got to go, go, go? Well, looking at who I have at hand, who can move at that pace a little bit better than others? Because we certainly have people, as you look at things that are um, great people, and have, or the, but they're the ideators and the big thinkers, and we need that sometimes. But when we have more time, when I need my people that are able to move fast and execute quickly, I want to probably draw on those people that have those strengths as well. Um, you know, we use a lot of things in the, our organization to try to understand each other's uh, strengths and weaknesses and different assessment um, tools and evaluations that are out there. So knowing that about the different team members that I have and playing off of those types of things and how they all work together also and those communication styles and, you know, who works best in, with each other in certain environments. Um, and then, you know, always looking at, at skills and abilities also. So if I can assemble the dream team, I'm kind of always looking at, well, who are my stakeholders and my sponsors on this? What are my outcomes I'm trying to achieve? And who do I have across things and their skill sets and their strengths that I can be able to pull together to make that happen? But there are a lot of variables that mm. that come into play with it. It's not always the people to, you want the people that um, have 
the strong knowledge as well, but you also need other players around them that are good in the different aspects of things. So knowing where people's weaknesses are as well so you can kind of help have that balance across the board on a team is really important. Awesome. So looking out across the landscape of the environment that you operate within daily, um, what do you believe is the most significant challenges to our next generation of leaders? How much time do we have? That's what my thought process is <laughs> yes, on this. Yes. Like, a, I have so much question. stuff that I could talk about <laughs> around yeah. here. Um, there's just so many different things. But uh, with future leaders, and my team's looking a lot at this right now as well as we look at what does leadership development look mm-hmm. like, um, but what's the future of work look like mm-hmm. as a whole? And there's so much research being published right yeah. now on what's the workforce look like in 2020? What's the workforce look like in 2025 and how that's going to change? Um, and change being the key word in all of this. I think one of the big things is the ability to adapt to change. Um, I see it in my line of work. Um, we're just changing or changing fast and quickly and all of the time. Things are always moving, changing. That ability and hate buzzwords and I use them though. Um, but that ability, we use it a lot to say it, to pivot yep. and and move and change and adapt quickly to things. The, um, the have endurance for change and disruption because what's happening and what we're seeing more of is there's that national natural disruption that occurs, but we also want to cause disruption in a way. So to be the best in what we do, to be innovative, sometimes you have to cause disruption and shake things up a bit to be able to create that innovation, spark those new ideas, do new things. So being comfortable in that and working in situations and balancing in spaces that are different, that are new, that push you outside of your comfort zone. Um, Focusing, a big thing for leaders in the future is that focus on talent. It's here and it's right now as well, understanding talent and what that means in the workforce has become more and more prevalent. So that the the spaces that we work in are going to be different. How people work is going to be different. We hear a lot right now around things like the gig economy. So being people are going to want work where they can pick it up and pick and choose on projects and giving your team the opportunity to do those types of things. You're going to have different types of workers and the fact that you might not always have full-time workers anymore. We're seeing that more and more. You're going to have part-time contingent workforces those people that kind of come in and pick up the gigs here and there, the distributed workforce, the the work from homes, the work in remote locations. How do you manage people from a virtual aspect of things? Um, cultures of coaching and feedback, like we talked about before, but we're seeing more and more and more of that. So being comfortable in that space to be able to, being a leader is no more just about being the person who can drive to business results and execution. I think being a leader now and going forward is also about being good with relationships and people and being able to coach the people that you're working with, deliver that transparent feedback. Um, I'm going to hit on a couple more things here, but strategic thinking and emotional intelligence, both being so critical. That's what we're seeing looking at, you know, workforce of 2020 and 2025 and those types of resources that you see out there and the research is strategic thinking is huge and the ability to have leaders that can think strategically and then that aspect of emotional intelligence, self-awareness of yourself as a leader um, and being able to understand, you know, the team um, that you're working with. And I think the one thing that I see, you know, I've worked with some of the interns that come in to organization. I do a lot of mentoring, be it college students, high school students, the community aspect of things I work with, um, with young leaders is this aspect of, being okay in the fact of 
you don't always need that fast track that you can lead from anywhere. It's not about leadership. It isn't always about the title. It's not about I have manager, director, VP, whatever it is attached to my name, and that's what makes me a leader. You can lead from any space that you are in. And taking that opportunity to kind of build your own leadership brand from the opportunities you have to lead, be it in project-based, team-based types of things, and being okay to not Every, I think everybody's so fast focused. How do I get to that next level? You know, what's my next step? And thinking about that, but there's a lot to be gained and be learned by just kind of settling in sometimes into a role for a little bit, learning, going through that experience, learning about how to work with other teams, work across different business units and business areas. Um, that there's a lot of knowledge and skills and experience to be gained from that. That that you can, and sometimes it's working across and and looking at opportunities more from a a lateral type of standpoint than it is about what's the next rung on the ladder. So that's a bunch of stuff. You can tell this is a space that I'm super passionate about and that I'm working a lot in right now. Um, And we've been talking about a lot on my team and different things and I've been talking to people in the community about. So is this a little bit of a meshing of my two worlds? It's my day job and it's also what I do in the community and working with, um, you know, you know that I work with the Students in Action program for the Jefferson Awards, and those are future leaders. They're leading now, essentially. But how? what skills can we help them build and help them understand? Because they're all so like, ambitious and you know, like, so driven. Um, but like getting them to understand the skills that they're also going to need to become better leaders as well. So, yeah, it's the collision of my two worlds. <laughs> so what would, I mean, if you had any recommendations uh, for young leaders, I, I guess one of the 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 items that I get a little <laughs> hesitant on to talk about is when you start talking, there's going to be five generations mm. within the workplace yeah. right now. And you have different mindsets, different beliefs, different, I mean, it's just a whole array of things. So how do you, how do you deal with that? Or how do you um, recommend to a young leader? How do you, how would you deal with that? Um, I think a, a lot of it about is that understanding of what you, bring to the table there's your perception perception is a big thing i guess is your perception of the world is going to be very different than the person sitting next to you than the person sitting across from you you are going to be working on this these teams uh with these teams of individuals that bring a, a breadth and depth of knowledge in different ways so Take a look when you start a project team, you sit down, take a look around the table and, and realize that everybody's coming to the table with different perceptions that have shaped them and who they are and made them who into who they are. Um, when we talk about perception, we teach perception a lot is it's about I have my perception of yours and it doesn't mean one is right and the other is wrong. Um, but can I understand that you might have a difference of opinion on this or you might approach this in a different way and that might be based off of a generational type of experience? I can understand where you're coming from. Um, and I can listen to that and I can hear that and I can respect that. Now, how can we figure out how to work together and meet in the middle on those things? Um, but recognizing that my knowledge or my experience isn't always the best, you know, or the one to be, um, you know, ha- that we have to follow or go after. So being okay with uh, listening and, and listening to the, the others that you're going to work with that are on your team, respecting others' opinions and where they're coming from on it. Um, and trying to figure out those best ways to work together. So understanding how they work and communication styles and just recognizing that the di- there are differences. There are differences in how people work and how they prefer to work. 
Uh, a lot of that goes back to when you set up a, a team, whether it's just a work team or a project team in the beginning, really kind of kicking things off with sharing things about each other, getting to know you. That's the people connection back again. <laughs> you know, everybody, it's you're working with people. Everybody's a human being and they bring with them a certain amount of, like I always say, when you come to work each day, you know, you're like it or not, you're bringing the whole person to work with you each day. So understanding who that whole person is, is to the best that you can from a workplace type of standpoint. Um, and just setting up an environment that allows people to be able to openly uh, share their uh, opinions and you being willing to listen to those other opinions. Because I think where we go wrong sometimes, especially from younger leaders perspective is I've got all this training and I had all these classes on leadership and I was the leader of this student organization or that community organization. So I've got it all right. I know it all. And I did X, Y, and Z yeah. and then give you their laundry list of, of things. Um, but the person down the table from you might have been in the organization for 20 years and has a heck of a lot of experience under their belt. And they understand the politics of the organization. They understand the back history as to why that product didn't work before, why we do it this way is because it failed along the line somewhere. So just respecting and understanding those types of things. And, and there's a lot of learning to be had there. So, yeah, And I think you quote that I really liked was uh, leadership is not always about a role. Uh, you can lead, you know, from whatever role that you're in. Absolutely. is something that you know, we've stressed time and time again. Yeah. So. So I'm going to throw you out there a little bit more. So you talked about disruption, <laughs> yeah. right, and getting comfortable with disruption as a leader. Yes. Um, so what do our Pittsburgh Pirates need to disrupt for a successful <laughs> season next year? Who's all going to hear this? I don't know. I don't want to be banned <laughs> from the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's tough. I keep it watching. Is. Has anything else come out on the uh, the Tulowitzki uh, trade at all today? I yet. haven't seen anything. Like last not night yet. I was following. It was like, there's a good aspect of it might happen tonight. You know, and I'm like laying on my kids floor she's falling asleep watching my twitter feed to see if yep. anything else is yep. gonna come up yeah i i am such a diehard pirates <laughs> fan and people don't even understand why and why i stick around and you know why i'm still a part of it so i'm like the co like constant optimist i'm like it's a new season yeah. spring training's coming we can do this right um and we're old yeah. enough to remember the nls series back in the early 90s oh, and then we had a little I bit know. of touch on a few years ago so yes there's some optimism building there it so is it's... i just told uh somebody the other day about how I'm still probably living off of the high of, you know, that that play in playoff game yep. and going to that game and what that felt like and being yeah, in the stadium right? and what that experience was like. Yes, that I just kind of, you know, wanted to want to see it again, but I'm still kind of clinging to it. So I think there's a decent amount of disruption um, that probably has to happen there. Uh, and some more when we talk about talent, um, <laughs> talent that has to be added along the way. I'll be interested to see I was talking to somebody the other day about the Pirates as well. And um, in the conversation between a bunch of people, the question came up, well, was Cervelli going to stay? Or are they going to trade him? Yeah. Because, uh, um, of course, she was a female and she was like, because I really like him. And I'm like, yeah, well, most female pirate fans do. Um, but, you know, is he the, yeah. the right option to stay or not? Because I feel bad. I feel like he's one concussion away from yeah. it yeah. just, you know, kind of being done for him. And yeah. it's a big risk to take. But I will be there. I just saw, All you know, right. about opening day as well. They have a great new commercial right now. I don't know if you saw it. I have not yet. No. It stopped me. I was in my kitchen yesterday. Oh, I'm man. going way off track with you guys, however. Um, but I was in my kitchen and my kitchen leads into my living room and it popped up. I could tell and it caught me because it was this guy in a pirate hat, but it channels him 
through and follows him through from when he was a child and how he became a fan and it, with his father and going to the ballpark and whatnot. And then he takes his his girlfriend on their first date, it seems like, to the pirate king. And then it chronicles through. And then at the end sequence of it, it's him and his little girl. And he gives her his pirate hat. And they're going into PNC Park. And then it flashes up the opening day information. And I just stood there and went, huh. I'm a sucker. I'm sold right back in again. Let me go get my opening day tickets. Yeah, <laughs> humanity, right? That's right. what it goes back to. It touches yeah. the inside. That's because so. it's me. I'm like, okay, well, my right. oldest is she's five. Um, should I take her to opening day this year? Like, can I do that? It's usually a little cold. Will she make it? Will it be okay? Yeah. That type of a thing. Yeah. But yeah. We were at a, one day. It wasn't opening day, but it was shortly after that. We decided to go one year and it ended up going into like 14 or 15. Years, yes. And it was Yes. Oh, you probably remember the yes. game. Oh, even there. Yeah. So, uh, yep. Yeah. So the other thing I want to definitely make sure you talk a little bit about. So it's about that time, or will be that time soon, where you will be knee deep in sequins and tall. Which yes. I admit I don't even know what it is, oh, but I'm going to yeah. let you talk a little <laughs> bit about the Johnstown Cinderella project that you founded. Oh yeah, it's one of my besides the pirates, it's my other passion. Um, prom dresses. Who would have thought? I joked to somebody the other day in community affairs that mm-hmm. I said. You're, they're going to bury me in a prom dress someday. Like, pick one out. That's that's what it will be. Nice. But uh, really, it started from the fact, again, I keep circling back to my parents who were teachers, but my mom, you know, being a high school teacher, um, me and my sister having tons of gowns that we you, you wear them once and you really never wear them again. And she had girls in her classroom that, you know, I, I come, like I said, from the Johnstown area. There are areas of poverty and where people definitely struggle. Um, and she had girls in her classroom that we knew couldn't afford a dress. So you know, she was using some of our clothes and dresses and things we weren't using and taking them to girls in her classes. And we were watching Oprah the one day and they talked about, because prom dress projects are not, a, it's not unique to me. They're all over the country. And, and Oprah was talking about prom dress projects. And my mom and I looked at each other and like, we could do that, right? Like we know people. So we started it that year very small within my high school, my home school district. Um, I was recently out of college when I kind of started things and started asking friends because everybody has dresses in their closet that they don't wear anymore and exploded. And people were like, well, what about other schools? And I formed a really nice partnership with the YWCA, the Greater Johnstown YWCA. um, And we house everything out of there. And I have to say like, it's morphed into a life of its own. I don't have to beg for donations. People think of the Cinderella Project when they have a dress to donate, when they have jewelry shoes and accessories to donate. They bring them to us. Uh, we do two great big try-on days in March. The YWC in Johnstown is an old Victorian home from like some of the steel tycoons. So beautiful home. We get all three floors of it, open it up. I have volunteers that I call fairy godmothers because of the Cinderella Project. Um, and girls come in. There's no proof. Uh, they don't have to prove any type of income or anything like that. It's if you need, you come in. You get the full experience. Try on as many dresses as you want. Find the one you want. Shoes, gown, accessories, the whole thing, free of charge. Um, and we do that, you can say, the two weekends in March every year. So, uh, yeah, I have tons of people who always you know, want to be a part of it, want to give, want to volunteer in some way. But we see girls from across five, like a five-county radius around the Johnstown area. I have have had people that have come from well outside of that because wow. – 
grandparents might live in the area or they heard about it through some other way. Um, we recently started forming connections with some of the other prom dress projects like the ones that happen here in Pittsburgh and whatnot where we can kind of share inventory, help when there's a special need, things like that. I worked with the Project Prom here in Pittsburgh last year when I had a couple of needs or we just weren't finding a size and a style, you know, for a girl that we kind of really needed based off of some special needs. So, but it's more than about, like I said, the kind of the sequence and the glitter and the whole nine yards. It's about girls getting to connect with other women, showing them that somebody is there for them. Somebody believes in them. Somebody cares in them, building positivity and self-esteem in their lives. Because oftentimes um, what we see are girls that come to the project completely by themselves. When I bought my prom dress, my mom went with me, my sister went with me, my aunt went with me, you know, and it was kind of like that big deal. There are a lot of girls that don't have somebody like that in their life or their mom has to work and can't do that for them. So having that woman, that volunteer that's there that's with them that can help them and my volunteers gush and fuss over anybody who comes in the door and make them feel good and when they stand there and they look in that mirror and you know somebody's telling them you look beautiful um you know and gives them that you can see like the confidence the shoulders automatically kind of go up and back and like for the first time you know, they look at it themselves in a different way and so it's really about building self-esteem in young women giving them that opportunity to have that high school experience that you know, most girls you know, want and want to experience in some way. And, and what it's done is it's spun off some nice connection projects in the community of Johnstown to build some mentoring and programs and some things for young women in the community as well. So well, wonderful. It sounds certainly like you said, uh, not only just a great initiative to be a part of, but I mean, just that experience that yeah. you're delivering to the, the girls who come in are just amazing. Yeah. So, and my husband loves my house yeah. being filled with prom dresses <laughs> all of the time. No but doubt. I told him, no I'm like, I have two girls. I'm like, this is just preparation for down the road, right? Uh, but yeah. he's, a con- he's hauled prom dresses. My dad's hauled prom dresses. And we're just, that's what we're all about. There's glitter all through my car all the time. So. <laughs> just makes things more exciting. It right? does. Well, Everybody needs a little sparkle. I mean, that's yeah. right. That's right. So how can people... <laughs> People who want to either become uh, interested in volunteering or helping your your organization mm-hmm. or just even just to follow, how do they do that? Sure. So we have a Facebook page, Johnstown mm-hmm. Cinderella Project. It's all kind of one word that runs together on the Facebook mm-hmm. page. So you look that up. That's probably where it's the best place to follow us and get information. Mm-hmm. We keep that the most current. Um, if you Google Johnstown Cinderella Project, there is a web page for it. It'll run information there. Um, but you know, sending us a message to the Facebook page, you can connect with me directly through that if you wanted to donate or volunteer or help out in any way, shape, or form. If you're in the Pittsburgh area, I am working a bit more with Project Prom now um, and just was talking to them last week. They do have some volunteer needs right now as far as sorting. They run it out of the Thriftique okay. store down in Lawrenceville. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, they are going through their sorting phase and so in the next couple of weeks, they need volunteers to do sorting and then they will need volunteers. They do try on days in March as well. Um, so I have some of the information on that. I can connect people in the Pittsburgh yeah. area to that as well because I'm, I'm helping them and trying to get a little bit more involved with that and build that partnership there between the two program. So you can find me personally if you just send a message on Facebook through the Johnson Cinderella Facebook page. Excellent. Yeah. And we'll include that in the show notes as Great. well, the link to the website as well as your contact Perfect. information. So folks Thank can you. Find you. So, Appreciate it. Well, Dennis, any other final questions for Megan? No, I, I, I just so. want to thank you, Megan. I oh, appreciate you. your uh, coming and sharing with us. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. This was fun. Yeah, this is fun. Hopefully, uh, we'll get you back maybe for a second episode. Yeah, absolutely. I'll come Um, hang out with you guys anytime. (laughs) Yeah, well, like I said, the space is beautiful. I know. So, like I said, there's always interesting conversation happening around all kinds of 
everything related to organizational behavior, leadership, culture, students. So we'll certainly help to have you back again. So well, thank you so much. We truly appreciate it. And for our listeners, again, Dennis and I uh, would like to thank you for listening. And we'd also like to thank the Roland School of Business and the Center for Media Innovation here at Point Park University. Also like to thank Highmark Health for lending Megan this morning. Uh, it was our honor to have her here. And we'd also like to thank the Employment and Labor Relations Program at Indiana University of Pennsylvania for supporting this podcast. And you listeners, continue to thank for your support, and please keep sending us the questions or guest ideas. Uh, again, our Q&A session this, this earlier this morning we were able to record went wonderfully, and we encourage you to continue to reach out anytime uh, with more questions. And we look forward to seeing you guys in the near future. 